There he is. Hey, Jim. How are you, man? Good to see you. Likewise, it's been a bit, but I really appreciate you doing this again. You got it, man. You got it. We'll see if we can't capture a lightning in a bottle twice. Well, I have the recording button already pressed, so. <laughs> no worries on that end. Awesome. I'm not going to miss that again. You've been uh, doing any traveling or running around since we last talked? Uh, I was. I think the last time we talked, it was at the uh, middle or end of October. I can't remember. I was pretty busy September and October. Those are traditionally two of my biggest months back to back. April and May is. So before summer, after summer, that's when all the conferences are. But November, it's always a hodgepodge. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. Last year, I had three, four engagements. This year, I've had zero um, and December is always empty. I could take December off every year. Nobody's going to do any big conferences around the holiday. So, yeah, right, right. So, it's, uh, you know, it's given me an excuse. I'll, I uh, started a little bit on my third book and, uh, you know, stuff around the house. And I've got a million other small little things that I could work on. So it just sort of kicked me in the butt to do some of that stuff. So I can't complain. It's a charmed life, man. No, oh, that's great. <clears throat> well, good. Well, I'm excited to dive in and do this again. So uh, you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready when you are, my friend. No pun intended. <laughs> but uh, I'm fine. You can, all the puns you want, I'll take them. <laughs> well, hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe. And today we're going to take a journey into 
a very popular brand that you've probably been a part of. It's the uh, Hard Rock Cafe. And my guest is a fellow who spent a long part of his life and career working there and had a front row seat to the magic behind the, the brand. His name is Jim Knight. Jim, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it, man. I know we've been looking forward to doing this for a while. So this is exciting for me, man. I really, really appreciate the uh, the opportunity. We have been looking forward to this. And I, I'm going to tell the audience, I, I'm going to be totally vulnerable here. I'm going to rip uh -oh. off the kimono. <laughs> Jim and I shot this show about two months ago, and we had a blast doing it. And I realized we never hit the record button. <laughs> So it was an amazing dress rehearsal, and it took us a bit to get back on our calendars and get them synced up so we could do this again. But my point is, uh, you know, in a moment of vulnerability here, I'm going to confess uh, some real stupidity not hitting that button. Uh, but I've got the privilege, and Jim was gracious to agree to come back, and we're going to try to capture that lightning all over again. So it's going to happen. That was just our sound check, brother. That's <clears throat> part part of the yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great party. But uh, Jim, as I often do, uh, I'll ask you to kind of give a backstory. You know, what what was your journey about before you joined the Hard Rock and some of the evolution of your roles there with that company? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm not even sure that I was going to fit into that company because really my my uh, long and winding road, as you can imagine, was maybe just a little bit different then probably a lot of people that were going to work at that brand, uh, especially I, I wound up being their head of training and development. But before that, really, I went to college to be a musician. Um, I thought that uh, was going to be my my future. And I discovered that in high school. I'm a pretty short guy. I wasn't really strong enough to play football, um, but I needed an outlet and I got into chorus and was singing. And, you know, it worked out perfectly for me because I was on a full scholarship and I do have my music degree in AA and performance and education. But, you know, I discovered something, Doug, while you were at university to make a living doing that job, you actually had to be good. Um, and so I, uh, I I was not great. I was pretty mediocre. I thought maybe a little bit better than most. But, uh, you know, everything I sang was formal, choral, church you know, somewhat opera, and I was into directing and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I think maybe just being a music uh, teacher wouldn't have been my future. But um, I, I did decide to change careers. I got into education after all. I was a middle school teacher, starting off as a substitute middle school teacher for a while, and then moved into some full-time work. Um, I did that for six years. Absolutely loved it. Um, but then I discovered at night I really needed to make a little bit of a little bit more money. And also on the weekends, you know, teachers aren't making any money on the weekends and in the summer. So I took a summer gig um, working as a host at Hard Rock. I'd had some other jobs in between. And I was just a host. My hair did not go up, by the way. I did not have the spiky look. For those that can see us right now, you, you can imagine my hair almost fits out of the frame because it's pretty high up there. But before that, it used to go down. I had a mullet. I could sit on my hair almost. It was about two and a half feet long. But I loved being able to work for a company that allowed me to be and say and do whatever I wanted to. And it was in a rock and roll environment. It was just, it was awesome. And quite honestly, I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the people, actually. And, and I I equate organizational cultures today to the human beings that are working in the business. So I'll, I'll tell you this quick story at Hard Rock, and then we can talk about some more. But I'll just tell you, when I started there, although I had the long hair, I wasn't sure that I really fit in. I can honestly remember 
my very first day, my day one orientation, the guy that was delivering the, the day one information had hair below his shoulders, which I'd never seen in any corporate America job. He, he, you know, he had sunglasses on the whole time. It was like four hours, five hours. I couldn't tell if this guy <laughs> was, was, you know, what was he, was he, I, I don't know, drunk? Was he high? Was he trying to be cool? Maybe he was all of the above. I don't know. But, but I could reach up and touch Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstein guitar, this red, black, and white thing that he was famous for. I had 90 decibels of Zeppelin blaring in my ear. I mean, real authentic memorabilia. I looked around at the other people that were sitting at the table, and they were pretty interesting. I mean, tattoos and piercings and whatever. Even And I was on the mezzanine floor. I was looking down onto the bottom floor and all these hard rockers, these these people, the most incredible collection of humans I'd ever seen on the planet, just running around, flitting about, moving at blazing speed, not because I think they had to, because they wanted to. And I thought, man, what a rush, what a what a vibe, what a sex appeal. Do, do I even fit into here? And and I, I believe after 21 years, it, it worked out for me. I mean, I started as a host. I eventually became a manager. I've opened up probably 60 plus properties around the world. I ran learning and development for the organization for about 16 of my 21 years. And just, it was the career of a lifetime. And honestly, if I could still be there and do what I'm doing now, I probably would. It's uh, it's that cool of a brand to me. Well, it, it, it's definitely unique, and I've told the story. My, my wife is a big fan, and uh, she's got a collection of the hat pins, and uh, we've gotten pins from pretty much all over the world, probably, probably not every location whatsoever, but um, uh, my, one of my sons and his wife were on a cruise in the Mediterranean, and they went to the one in, it's in Greece, but I don't remember which town, but they probably ran to the hard Athens rock at that time. I'm sorry. What? It was probably Athens at that time. I would think it might've been. Yeah. But anyway, they, wherever it was, they ran to the cafe, got the pen for my, my wife and um, realized they probably weren't going to make it back to the ship. It was too yep. far, <laughs> but uh, they did. And it was, it was fine. The pen made it home. And so that's, that's kind of the crown jewel of the collection right now. So, well, you need to thank them for me. Cause uh, I can tell you, they probably <laughs> paid for my bonuses, you know, because <laughs> I've shared the story a lot. I mean, hard rock uh, now their future and what they focus on is the casinos and the hotels, the cafes, even over the years, um, don't make a ton of money. I mean, it's hard to be in, in food and beverage anyway, that the profit margin, the line is so thin, but, um, over all the years, honestly, retail is where all the money was made. I mean, not only a, a pretty big half the amount of the sales, but about at that time when I was there, 85, 90% of the profit was because of retail, because of the merchandise. And so the idea is if you had an awesome experience, having a meal, then you would want a document. You wouldn't want to memorialize the experience. And ultimately people like your family, they, you know, because you have to go to the places to actually get that stuff. If you want to say whatever the city was in Greece on the t-shirt, you got to physically go there. And so that yeah. means you're a world traveler. That's kind of a big deal. So, yeah. you know, yeah. thank them for right. me for, uh, for some dollars <laughs> in the, in the old <laughs> no, no worries. Well, we, we, we've used the culture word a couple of times and there's yeah. no doubt that, you know, the culture of hard rock is unique. So from, from your front row seat, what, what do you think it was about that culture that made it so special? 
Yeah, you know, I've come to uh, really understand that everybody has their own idea about the word culture. And it's still a buzzword today. I mean, I, I think it's because it's so nebulous. It's such an esoteric word, right? You can't put your hands on it. You can't actually see it. You know, I, I think people know when they're around a great culture and when they're around a culture that's just horrible, but it, it's tough for people to put their hands on. It. And sometimes I'd even ask hard rockers, people that I thought, you know, th this was one of the greatest brands and cultures in the history of cultures. And if I even ask them, what, what is our culture here? What is the definition of culture? It was like a mush mouth. They just, they stumbled over their words. They couldn't put their finger on it. And I said, man, if I'm going to focus on this and, and really make it rock here at this company, but even more than that, in my current role as a keynote speaker, if I'm going to go talk about it or write a book about it, which I did, I better define what it is. And so, you know, over all the years, people will give me so many definitions, but I have come to the conclusion, it's really one thing. I really think it's just a collection of people. That is the culture at that moment. For me, everything is predicated on human behavior. And I give this example all the time. Let's say, and I might even do this, Doug, in front of companies. I'll be standing up there in a keynote role. There might be 500 to 1,000 people. I might be uh, in front of a legacy brand, a tired brand. They've been doing this thing for a long time. And if I start throwing out the word culture, I see their, I, I see the the eyeballs. They just sort of glaze over. And I go, you know what? Here's here's how I would put it. Let's say, let's say I uh, love your font. I love your logo. I love your color palette. I love every tool and process and form in your buildings and the fit and furniture and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, all 500 of you, boom, you're out. I'm getting rid of all of you. I'm going to replace you with a bunch of other people. Have I changed the culture? Like, like massively, it might even be 100%, if not in the high 90s. But if I did exactly the opposite, which by the way, companies do all the time. They say, I hate my logo. I hate my fonts and my color palette and my tools. I'm gonna change everything. I'm gonna move the corporate support center a mile down the road because I found a better location. I'm gonna swap out what's going on inside my business, whatever it is, every seven, eight, 10 years. But everybody that's working there that I really spend a lot of time and energy and effort and money and rigor to hire, they all get to stay. Have I really changed the culture? Little by little, I've done some work, but I bet you it's probably a low, low, low percentage. Everything goes back to the human, how you made me feel. It's not the stuff. And this is where I think people confuse. They get so wrapped up. When they hear that word culture, they think they've got to change and fix a whole bunch of stuff. What is the, the product, the widgets that we're selling? To me, it has nothing to do with that. It's how you made me feel in the public domain. And I'm more likely now to talk about you, come back and spend more money. That That's the only three things I really care about pretty much on any customer survey I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, I've had that discussion with several of my guests here on the show, the idea that, you know, our, our modern business model, a business opens up, they start creating some product or service, and they spend a lot of time and money yep. defining a brand and and then they try to push that brand out to the market but the culture of the people that support the brand doesn't match yeah it, it doesn't align uh, let me just use the graphic here if, if i use the hard rock example the brand of the loud pounding music if if the people were in their white smocks and their you know the napkin folded over their shoulder to um to serve the guests, it's a disconnect. It is. You don't support the brand with the people showing up that way.
That's right. And by the way, we've tried to go down that route. Like we've changed some things before. There were different administrations, you know, over different eras who thought I need to make it a little bit more upscale. If you're going to spend money on a 14, 16, now probably $18 burger, you deserve an experience that comes with that. So what they think is maybe a little bit more fine dining. Maybe we get rid of some of the the, the menu items or things that are on the wall that maybe cater to a little bit more of a middle class, a, a you know blue collar, which by the way is what Hard Rock was founded on. But they try and ma- match either the price point or what they think the the customer that has the dollars. Those are the ones that they might be chasing. And we've we've changed uniforms and menu and building and all that. And we resort back to the way we are. I mean, it does have to have a little bit more of a. Uh, a, a polished feel. It needs to feel like, ooh, rock and roll, like I'm bowing at the altar of something that's fantastical. I get that. Uh, but I think to your point, if it didn't really match up and including the people, the day that they stop going, I can't have colored hair and mohawks and tattoos and piercings, that's going to be a problem for the brand because you're going to run out of humans to find that'll come and work for you because those cool kids, they want to work there. They They literally have found the island of misfit toys, somebody who allows them to be and look and say and have fun. They, they were broken the way they are, not just aesthetically, but you know we're all fundamentally broken. But there are a lot of people, they just wear a lot of the scars and stories on their sleeve and they want to be themselves. And you know what? The guy next door isn't going to allow them to do it. And so they found an island of a bunch of people that are like-minded that said, we don't care what you look like. We care that you contribute. And when you get all comers like that, what you get is loyalty. And once again, it all leads to culture. Because if I can hold on to those people forever, I'm going to have something fantastic. And there is nobody, there is nobody on this planet, unless they really do have a chemical disorder. And and I get that that does exist. Everything is learned behavior. You and I, Doug, we are the way we are because we learned it somewhere from our parents, school, friends, religion, lack of religion, the playground. By the time you come to me and you're a 19, 20 year old kid wanting the job and you're natural disposition isn't to, you know, smile and have a personality and, and, you know, focus on people with a sense of urgency and attention to detail. Like if that's not ingrained in you, if you don't have the juice running through your veins already, it's going to be a tougher job for me as a training and development guy. So I just rather go out there and look for the people that are pretty unique because unique people create unique experiences. So that that's really the culture for me, but you're right. If they don't match up, it's going to be a disconnect. You're going to get a lot of discordance from it. So how do you think Hard Rock pulled off that idea of taking those, you know, misfit toys, as you called them, and bring them together to, to create cohesive teams of high performance and, and high execution? Yeah, it's the, it's the brainiac idea uh, from the two founders. I mean, you had this guy, Isaac Tigret and Peter Morton. Um, a lot of people might not know Isaac Tigret. He was really just from a cultural standpoint, the innovator in a lot of ways. Um, but Peter Morton, people might know his father, Arnie Morton, started Morton's of Chicago. So if you think about it, you already had you know, some some restaurant bones to the thing. But now you come over the top with with somebody who's just a little bit out there like Isaac was. I think what they noticed, especially with these two rich American kids hanging out in Great Britain in the early 70s, there was no place like this. You couldn't get great American food. You certainly couldn't get a greasy hamburger like you would find in the United States with a truck stop style diner, which is what they modeled it after. And you certainly couldn't get 
an experience that would be like what they were envisioning in their head. And it would be fast and a little irreverent and unpredictable and full of passion. And so they went out and found some pretty unique people in, in London. And some of them actually really did come out of hotels and the hospitality sector, but they really looked for unique people. And part of the thing they did, which I don't even know if this would work these days, they only hired 30-year-old women. You had to be 30 years old or over, number one, and you had to be a woman. They just said, this is what you would find in a typical truck stop diner and TV shows that you and I may be used to, like Alice, remember Flo, who was always a little irreverent? I think they sort of thought about those type of people. Maybe it was a Lucille Ball. Maybe it was, uh, I'm trying to think other famous redheads that would have been out there, you know, Carol Burnett. I think they probably thought, I need something different. And that just sort of perpetuated now 55 years down the road. I think Hard Rock has really gone out of their way to say our special sauce, the thing that's going to make us different is our people. Now, they certainly aren't hiring only 30-year-old women, but I think they do a fairly good job. And it really does depend on the general manager, who he or she is in that building, who they hire, I think is going to determine whether they're going to be successful or not. So hopefully there are some really good properties out there that are still holding on to that mindset. But I think it was the idea of the founders going, I'm going to hire some pretty interesting kids and, and it's going to do well for us. So you had a role in learning and development, right? In the, in the HR realm there, yep. what was on the agenda there? How did you frame the teaching of how to, how to run a store and, and have that culture? Well, that was pretty unique. I, I will say this. I had a great boss there. You know, when I first started off, I said I was in operations. I did that for about three years, and that included about a year stint and being a manager. So I knew that I probably needed some credibility with some management skills, having a little bit of leadership underneath my belt. But really, I was just a long-haired kid wanting to do openings around the world. That was fun for me. But when I finally decided to put on my big boy pants, I thought, the, the, the collateral, the materials, Hard Rock was awesome at a lot of things, but maybe where they weren't so great was the printed collateral, whatever videos we were using. They didn't really have, you know, the idea of having to have a formalized training process. And I would guess, Doug, in the beginning, if you're just hiring some pretty unique people, it's going to be interesting anyway, and you probably don't need a lot of training stuff. But as the brand got bigger, you needed to put some things in place. So my background was in uh, reading comic books. You know, I thought could I take the employee manual and get rid of as many words as possible and turn the whole thing into a visual just a <laughs> warehouse? And so I literally, I mean, I think about a busser manual, you know, busser who would go and clean off the table, right? Yeah. I can teach people how to bust a table in one page, how to clean, clear, and set. Like those are the fundamentals. What I'd rather do is show a bunch of pictures. The first picture is the guy or girl walking up to the table, lifting up the condiment caddies, the next picture, taking out their rag is the next picture, wiping it down is the next picture. Next thing you know, there's six pages of images. And it took so many more pages to tell that story of how to actually clean the table. But here's what it did. It helps with people that had learning disabilities, dyslexia. English as a second language, which we not only had in the U.S., but here we are opening up properties in 70-something countries now. For me, I thought I didn't really have to translate a lot of materials because I, I taught in a way that people dream. They dream very visually. So I thought, okay, print materials. My first order, sort of like you're saying, what, what do you tackle first? For me, I said, let me just take the very first employee manual, 
let me get that. So at least I stop the bleeding of every new person that comes on board. They're going to get great information on what works in the brand, what doesn't. Now let me get to the department manuals. Now let me start thinking about videos. What's a day one orientation look like? Is it the same with the guy or girl that's teaching it in Paris as it is in Orlando? Maybe I need to put together a great leader's guide. Maybe I need to train all of the trainers so that we're consistent around the world. So it literally, you know, you could take out any training and development, learning and development map and go, there are probably 20 initiatives if you really want to do it right from e-learning to texting, to video, to print, to instructor led, to whatever it is. So my world, I had a lot of fun because it eventually morphed beyond the cafes. And I was, I was head of training for the hotels and casinos as well. So that was a different world. I hadn't really been in that before, but the concepts and the principles of learning and development are basically the same. So there, there was a long list, but I just started. I just took one small bite. Let me crush this one thing. It might take me six months and then I'll move on to the next one. And it, uh, it served us well. And they still have many of those things still in place today. And I've been gone 11 years now from the company. Well, <clears throat> that, that's pretty incredible. And when you think about it, you know, again, the, the, the creation of that unique brand that, that really was driven by the culture. Yeah. I mean, you, you could probably argue, okay, it was a great greasy hamburger, but, and you could, you know, arguably you could get that a number of places, Sure, but you, 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 you can't get the atmosphere. You can't get the experience, you know, uh, without going inside a hard rock. No um, yeah. Even today. I mean, I, if you really want a great burger, Please, there's so many gourmet burgers out there, places, you know, Habit Burger, Whataburger, In and Out, Five Guys. You know, pick pick one and, and they're all gonna be cheaper. It's all gonna be quicker. You get that, but you're not paying for that when you go to the hard rock. Although we did lose our way in the in the mid-90s. We were ensconced in, in the entertainment world, you know, all this expensive stuff on the menu, but it's it's really because of big, massive buildings, big leases, a ton of staff in there, a lot of expensive rock and roll memorabilia, which was all real and authentic that we were buying all that's on the walls. It's very expensive. So where do you make it up? It's in, it's in the food and the retail and the beverage. So yes, for sure. If you do not get an awesome experience, people are going to be scratching their head when they walk out of there going, that sure was a very expensive hamburger that we just paid for. That's yeah. what you have to avoid at all costs. It's a, it's a <clears> lot <throat> of pressure for that brand. Yeah. It, it it's, it, it's really interesting. And I, I can think about some other brands that have come and gone. Um, there was a restaurant chain in, in my part of the woods and I, I'm not even clear on how big they made it. It was called the magic time machine. Did mm. you ever hear of that or not? I have not. Them? No, I don't know them. I have to it look might have up. been a regional brand, but this was back in the late seventies, eighties. And, and they were same kind of deal, a lot of investment in the property. And, and you would, every like booth had its own vignette. I mean, it was a, a theme just in each okay. booth was a separate theme. <clears throat> and you know the idea was time time travel, so you're going different places, and and the the service staff was all dressed in costumes of different kinds, and and you know they they kind of fit the bill you're describing, you know the pretty pretty wild personalities, mm -hmm. and definitely irreverent. We were um, there a group of us was at dinner, and we had uh, one of the matrons of the uh, clan with us a friend's mother was with us and she very daintily and politely leans over to the server and says where's the restroom and he just 
stands up boldly and says, it's across the street at the Exxon station. <laughs> and uh, yes. she's like, oh, you know, and he goes, no, I'm kidding. It's down the hall there. Well, about 20 minutes later, same waiter had another table nearby and apparently a guest there said, where's the restroom? And he said, ask that lady over there. Perfect. And our, our mom friend stood up and said, it's across the street at the Exxon station. You know, she played right along. That's awesome. That's so, fun. Yeah. So it, uh, you know, those kind of experiences can come together. Yeah. But let me shift gears back to a little more seriousness here. So, for you as a leader in that company, what was one of your biggest takeaways that you, that you valued most in the experience? You know, I think probably um, I learned a lot from the employees, the hard rockers, um, but certainly I had some great mentors, some managers that just said, you know, every shift is going to be completely different. And you really have to think about it like that. You know, you have to walk in and go, I'm going to be served up with some obstacles as I go throughout. And it's really about how you deal with that. You can't be at all places. These are big properties. Uh, but even if I worked in a small location where I could see everything all at the same time, I would really think, where is the biggest impact? Where's the fulcrum where I could make the, the biggest impact? And I see entrepreneurs, restaurant owners, and I know we're talking a little bit restaurants, but I would say this about anywhere, where are the biggest challenges? And that's probably where you need to spend your time. And so I always thought when when people and I, I wrote one of my books that was about new up and coming leaders who maybe haven't had a management or a leadership role before, they they get a little bit overwhelmed because they want to now try and do everything. Even general managers of any business think they can be a super GM when they get promoted to a multi-unit director of operations. You can't do that. You got to go, where where do I spend the majority of my time? So one of my biggest learnings that I probably got from one of my mentors was you got to pick your two, three spots and just make sure that those are the areas that you can really affect. And quite honestly, they were all customer, guests, consumer facing. It really wasn't in the stuff um, is probably one thing. And one thing that I've learned that I've passed on a lot to a different, a bunch of different companies is it's not about the things you sell. It just isn't. I mean, as great as the product quality is, unless you can 100% order it online without ever talking to somebody and it's all automated. And even that has some people on the back end. Um, I, I think you really have to start thinking about how you can make people's experience fantastic. How do you make them feel? Not what is the stuff that they're selling. So I know those are kind of two, but for me, it was bite-sized pieces, focus on the things that you can control. And ultimately, that becomes something that will either be taken care of because you've got somebody who's now running herd on it, or you, you sort of fix that in your own leadership. Your That arrow in your quiver is now ready to go. Let's go focus on something else. Small pieces, and you can you can take that to the next level. I like that. <clears throat> I would agree with you. I think uh, young and upcoming leaders probably do bite off more than they can chew, mm -hmm. um, trying to trying to aggrandize, you know, the, the role they're in when there really probably are just a, a couple of really critical elements that if they could crush that, they would be declared amazing leaders. And yeah. You know, I also, a, a part of that too, I think is, again, this would be as if you had people that were working for you. So let's just take out the people that are maybe, a, you know, self-employed entrepreneur working in, in a kiosk by themselves. But if I had people that were working for me, there were some great leadership projects that we were do, doing when we were helping people develop themselves. And one of the projects was 
you, and I'm going to make this up, but let's say I need you to clean this particular area, a broom closet, a function room, whatever it is. I want to completely rearrange it, but I don't want you as a leader, as a manager to lift a single finger, but you got to figure it out. Well, of course, it leads to delegating. You get other people. So you start to you start to develop these type of skills that really only happen with practice. And that was also one of the things that I learned. I, I, I really do believe that a single person with a great idea can start a revolution and the revolution might be small and we're just going to now focus on attention to detail. There will never be any pieces of paper on the floor ever. Like that's going to be my focus. And eventually it becomes ingrained. It's a learned behavior, but it might also be as big as we're going to completely change the culture or I need to get us to the next level from a sales standpoint, whatever it is. And, and yes, I do believe that you can't do it all on your own. So the idea is maybe it's small bite-sized pieces, like I said, but along the way, you start to get people because they're inspired, they're motivated, they're a little bit more passionate, they're a little bit more committed to you, not necessarily even the company, but to you as a boss, they're willing to bend over backwards and work a little bit harder, work a little bit later, and then you're getting all the stuff done. I mean, it's you know, it's one of my favorite definitions of leadership is getting people to do the things that you need them to do that they might not have done on their own. For me, it's a preordained result. I know exactly what I need people to do. I might have to play some Jedi mind tricks on a couple of them, but for the most part, I'm hoping that I hire the right ones. And now I'm going to love on them enough that they're going to want to stay with me and they'll be endeared to me to get the stuff done that we need to get to the next level, whatever that, that promised land is. Great. Powerful words there. And I tell you what, Jim, on that note, we're going to take a short commercial break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this whole culture development and continuity of things. So hang with us, folks. We'll be right back. I love it. <clears throat> All right. Um, I don't have any particular thoughts. I do have a couple more questions I'll lay on you, but in, unless you got another thought, something we ought to do, we'll No, um, unless you want to talk about the books, I've got, uh, I can talk about starting with my first one and deconstructing it um, if you want, but honestly, I'm, I'm happy to go in any we, direction. We, I'll be happy to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll tag that in right close to the end there, okay. and get, get that up. So, you know, and we just relaunched, not relaunched, <clears> it's our <throat> new season, but we won't be doing seasons anymore of our podcast thoughts at rock with my business partner, who I think also would be good on your show. I'll, I may have connected you before, but I'll make sure we do that at some point. Um, but honestly, I'm nothing to sell here, man. I'm just having a fun time with you. Yeah, you like rock and roll, we could do that too. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> we'll. Um, I'll, oh, I need to give my producers some signals here that we did take the break because they don't have to thumb through it that way. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, we'll go back in. <clears throat> All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and I'm visiting with Jim Knight, who was a longtime leader in the amazing global brand, the Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, Jim, I want to get back to this culture question, because clearly Hard Rock has an amazing and, and unique culture that a lot of people um, can can identify. But First question, just maybe more statistically, how was employee retention at Hard Rock in general? Well, it was awesome while I was there. I don't have any statistics. I've been gone, like I said, 11 years. But I will say not only were we much lower than the rest of the industry, um, and I know this because I had joined different consortiums, including one that used to be called People Report. They're now a part of another company called Black Box Intelligence. That's exactly what they do. There is no such thing as a human 
profit and loss statement. There's no people P&L, if you will. And so they basically created one. And when you join the consortium, just by being a part and you get matched up based off of your volume. So you could be fast food, you know, fast, casual, you might be casual theme. We were in like the big super groups because there were competitors. You did have Cheesecake Factory and TGI Fridays, which we would maybe put in there, but certainly House of Blues, BB King's, um, Planet Hollywood, um, trying to think of some of the others, you know, the Rainforest Cafe. When you get into the consortium and get measured against everybody else around people metrics, turnover, um, philanthropic initiatives, what was it like from a, from a team member satisfaction? Like these are things you just normally don't get measured. When you get where you're compared to everybody else, everybody's scores immediately go up. Because when you shine a white hot spotlight on stuff, nobody wants to be the dummy at the bottom of the list. So you just you start climbing up quicker. So anyway, my point was turnover not only was better than everybody else, it was really awesome for us to watch every single year. And, and you know, I don't want to give all the statistics away, but I will tell you restaurant, retail, hospitality in general is some of the worst that you'd see, at least in the United States. In other countries, they're completely flabbergasted when they look at U.S. stats because in a lot of countries overseas, they go to school for some of these jobs. Like that's your career. That's their profession. Right. They, they're under contracts. So it's really hard not only to get rid of somebody, but for somebody to want to leave, they just get into a cushy location. Restaurants in general at Hard Rock, I mean, for a lot of them, it was their very first job. Some of them will stay around forever, but our management turnover was also super low. And there were a bunch of reasons. When you can look and be and say, like I said, and, and be in a rock and roll environment. And for me, I was getting a chance to travel. Somebody paid me to go to Mexico City and, and France and, and, and open up properties and go on vacation over there. It was crazy. And then on top of all of that, when you make it to 10 years, everybody in the company, everybody gets a Rolex watch. At 20 years, Everybody gets diamonds on their Rolex watch on the face. At 25, we get a trip for two anywhere in the world where there's a hard rock for an entire week for two people. Now, nobody thinks about it a lot. They're just happy to be in this really cool vibe business. So they sit there, they hang on there. Their first question in orientation is, are you kidding me? No way. But around six years, seven years, they're not leaving. They're sticking around for the Rolex watch. So even if you used a, a, a mnemonic device, like an awesome, and these were real Rolexes. These aren't fake off the market. Like we bought in bulk. You're going to get a Rolex watch if you hang out for 10 years, which is a big deal when it comes to hospitality. So th there were certainly some benefits and some things like that, but it really had nothing to do with that. If you're going to spend the majority of your time on this planet at work, which you do, you better make sure that you're hanging out with, with with really cool people that you like. I don't want to work around some slacker who doesn't fit into the company. And honestly, it <clears throat> from a manager standpoint, it made my job easier because the, the employees would vote them off the island. They would vote each other. They would self-police the business so that we always had top talent. So I, I, I would say that that probably helps from a leadership standpoint we do have to go out and mine for some unique people. And again, they might not even be in our industry. I mean, I I used to, you know, again, I, I've told you that at 11 years I've been gone. I'm a keynote speaker. That's what I do for a living. And I speak mostly outside of hospitality. It's real estate. It's banking. 
it's insurance, funeral directors are some of my biggest clients. So when I'm standing in these conferences with all real estate agents, I can't talk about restaurant stuff. I have to talk about the same principles. And I go, it is always about the people. And if you think you're going to find the great, awesome ones that are in your industry that somebody else may be let go, we're just, we're, we're reshuffling the deck chairs of the Titanic. You're going to have to go out and mine for people. And it's probably in some places you hadn't even thought about, but I am all about these days you got to hire for that personality because we can train for the skill. So, you know, when it comes to culture, and if you really do believe, not everyone on, on the show right now listening is going to agree with me. If you really do believe, though, it's all predicated on the humans that are actually working for you. That's mission number one. You got to get about it and get about it quick to go find some pretty awesome people. And that that's not easy to do. It's probably the hardest thing you're ever going to do because they're already working somewhere else. And it's going to take you a lot of probably money and coaxing and loving on them to get them to leave their current job to come and work for you. But it is possible. And they are out there. You cannot tell me there's not any good talent. I see them. They're just going to be tough to get. Yeah. I run into that a lot. And I, I'm reminded of a story. This was a much smaller company and not a global brand by any means, but privately held. But they were already a multi-million dollar company. And they hired me to come in and help them with some things in their business. And one of the first questions I asked one of the co-founders, I said, what's your vision of this business? Where, where do you want to go? What do you want to create? And his answer was, I don't want to lose any money. And I said, um, bad answer. I, I said, that's table stakes. You yeah. know, that's, that's price of admission. That's a given that you're, we're not going to do that, but, but bigger, bigger picture thinking, what do you want to achieve? And he didn't have an answer. Mm. We, we spent probably 30 minutes trying to get that out and he didn't have it. And I said, well, guess what? That's where we're going to start. I said, this company is not going to go anywhere beyond where it is right now. And in fact, it may go backwards if you can't create a statement about where you're wanting to go. Yeah. And, and somehow weave that into the very DNA and fabric of what you want this business to be, because how do you know who to hire? How do you know what you want them to do? What are you going to ask for, for fit? You know, I happen to agree with you. You can usually train for skill, but you can't necessarily train for fit. Mm -hmm. People have to fit in what you're trying to accomplish, but if you can't even define what you're trying to accomplish, what are you going to do? That's right. And I use some of that same language. It's funny that you picked specifically fit. You know, I, I always talk to brands now about going after the three C's, competence, character, and culture fit. So, you know, the competence, you have to be able to do the gig. And so you might not have the experience, but when I'm finished with you training, whatever that looks like in any business, and you're wearing the logo, you've got the brand, I have to assume I could walk away and, and you represent the company and you could do your job and all that. The problem is there are so many companies that focus on that. Like go look at every resume and CV and application. And the majority of it is all about experience and, and, and can you actually do the job? And it is important. But the other two are just as critical to me. Do, do the character, that next C, do you have a heart? Are your values aligned with my values? Are you looking for an opportunity to cut corners and do it yourself and steal from me? Or are we in alignment? You know, and but the culture fit, that's the one that gets fuzzy again. And sometimes it's really, really hard to define. But man, those are some of the funnest conversations like you did with that founder. I can imagine doing this with the executive leadership team, an entire half day or full day to say, 
what is going to be the stereotypical employee that we want? What is the fit here? What is the culture going to look like? Because we're going to go hire a bunch of people to make that fit. We better know what holes we're trying to fill before we start going out or else it's going to be whack-a-mole. And we're going to constantly be churning through the wheel like, like the hamster who never goes anywhere. I mean, that's you never get to the sweet stuff. To your point, the, the profit and making money, that's price of admission type stuff. I want to get to nirvana. I want to get to the absolute best that we can. You're, you you got to be able to turn around and see the Verizon network and have everybody going in that same direction with you. It just makes all of our jobs so much easier and it perpetuates the company for all time because of that. Yeah. You can, uh, I was introduced to the phrase self-eating watermelon. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, you can, as a leader, you can actually create a self-eating watermelon kind of a company where you're, you're hitting on all cylinders. You're hitting those really high marks that Nirvana you spoke of in, in growth and, and performance. And, um, I'm, I'm totally convinced it's all about fit of the people that you do bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, and I talk about that stuff, like I said, if I was ever going to talk or write about it, I'd better be able to explain what that is. And, you know, to be fair, there are a lot of companies that just don't have the resources. Hard Rock is a, it's a big monster, right? It's huge. They're global. When I go into companies that are in the middle of nowhere in a state that just doesn't have a lot of resources, number one, but somebody started a company and now they've got two or three locations and they're trying to figure it out. Even those organizations, it's still the same principles. I mean, you want to, you want to have the, the product has to be great. The environment has to be fantastic. There has to be value. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, do all that stuff. But these are all things that can be copied. Somebody can come along and steal that or take that away, or you're, you're going to be at the mercy of a bunch of external factors that can control that. The one thing that is a little bit of an X factor is human behavior. You never know really what you're going to get, but yeah. when you get it right, to your point, you get the right fit. If you can't steal my people, you're never going to get my culture. And so I, I, I do think that regardless whether it's a huge brand that is global or it's a small mom and pop somewhere, the concepts are still going to be the same concepts. It's all it's all about scale. It's all just, you know, it relates to however much money that you're focused on. Jim, you've uh, alluded to a couple of books. Uh, tell us about the books you've put together. Yeah, when I left Hard Rock, uh, you know, I knew that I wanted to write a book. That was always one of the things that a speaker will do, not just to increase their own value. But, uh, you know, I had all this stuff in my head. And, and really, there's a lot of Hard Rock eddies in it. Um, you know, you'll hear some stories, a little bit of some autobiographical, but I said, I wanted something replete with a lot of stories and what would culture look like? So you and I talked about a couple of things, but I did write a book in 2012 and actually published it in 2014. It's called Culture That Rocks. It's, it's a hardcover. It's color on the inside. It's a monumental pain in the butt to hold on to because it's so heavy, but almost every chapter was a little bit different around you know, service. It might be around product. It might be around philanthropy. It's around employee engagement. It's all these things. There's a chapter on leadership. And I was pretty happy with that. I probably thought I only had one book in me and that was it. But what I decided to do is I took this book that, again, I published ultimately on my own, self-published in 2014. And I have been breaking it down into several other books. So I had a book that came out in 2021 called Leadership That Rocks which is basically, I used this language before, it's for up and coming and new leaders. They've never really done this before. That that really was one chapter 
in my first book. And now I've expanded it to an entire book, but they're thin, they're black and white. Um, gave me an opportunity to really talk about companies and organizations and individuals in that book that I've just fallen madly in love with over the last 10, 11 years. The one that just came out this last year in 2022 is Service That Rocks. Pretty much what you would think. It's all about customer service and basically turning customers into just raving fans. And my last book will come out next year called Engagement That Rocks, which will be about employee engagement. How do you love on these people that you and I have been talking about? If I get that right, it'll parlay over to the, the consumer, the outside customer or guest. If you put those three small books together, you'd make up a more relevant version of this book. So, you know, I never really considered myself a writer or as an author, but I took some of that same mentality. I think it reads like I speak. And when I get on stage, I'm a lot louder than I am right now. I'm fast, I'm aggressive. Um, I love to bring the thunder. And I hope that there's some of that in, in these books as well. And uh, I've been very lucky. One of them was rated in Entrepreneur Magazine is uh, the, one of the top five books that will transform your business. So again, I've been very lucky. They're all Amazon number one bestseller. So knock on wood, if I had some wood around here, that uh, that last one continues on that journey. Thank you for asking about that, by the well, way. Well, congratulations on that. Thank and uh, I do want to remind everybody, we're going to have references to all of those in the show notes here wow, when awesome. we... Uh, um, put this out for you. So if you missed any of that on the fly, you'll get it in the show notes. But, awesome. you know, it, it it is a labor of love for those of us that have endeavored, you know, going out on the publishing path. And I've done it now, too. I, I just had uh, number six come out, but I was only a contributing author on it. But I've got a piece in a one of these collective books that's going around now that's pretty popular. And um you know, it's it, it it's just a passion to to kind of share that knowledge and get those stories out to people that are up and coming in the business world, whether you're on an individual management leadership journey or whether you're wanting to be an entrepreneur and create something. Yeah. Um, this whole idea and and the whole point of my show here is it's going to require a level of leadership. You're gonna have to figure out your own definition of what it means to be a leader and how you can apply that to what you're doing. And uh, whether you're a frontline supervisor in, in the case of a restaurant, I guess a shift leader of some sort, um, it, it's ultimately gonna involve some elements of leadership. You can't just manage everything and, and let that be all there is because at the heart of it, back to your original point, creating a culture, having a brand, doing great delivery and service. It's all about the people. Yeah, exactly. And if you can't field an army that knows how to do that and is going to hit the hit the goals and hit the principles that you want to lay out, you don't have a brand, you don't have a culture. That's right. And and there's actually good resources out there. And, and for people that are listening, if that's something they want to do, maybe they've never been in, in a leadership role. I mean, I not just my book. I mean, there's a lot of books. There's so many places you can go find about leadership. I've just learned even now that it doesn't have to be on your own, you know, mentorship, which I never really had. I never really even used that word when I was working in the restaurant, but I'm such a big fan of it now. I see all these Forbes and Fortune magazines that they, they will prop up and say that 75%, you know, that's not a made up number because when speakers start to use statistics, we make up stats like 88% of the time. But I know that they, that number is around 75% of Fortune 500 executives all have some sort of a formalized mentorship program in place. 
And that something like 75% of those CEOs swear the only reason they got to be where they are was because somebody helped them along the way. They had some type of mentor, whether it was in the company, outside the company, could be their significant other. You could do some reverse mentoring if you're trying to, I don't know, I'm a Gen Xer. If I need to learn about technology and I'm trying to, you know, get it from a millennial or Gen Z or help me with, um, you know, something like social media, I'm learning a lot from them at the same time that I might be mentoring them. So I just think mentorship is such a big part. But I mean, I could go on and on about leadership. You make such a great valid point that for me, all roads lead to who is the person that's ultimately making the decision. And if there's nobody doing that and it's just sort of a free for all, well, then don't complain about the results that you're going to get. You need somebody in there who can sort of manage the system, manage the brand, but do it in such a way that people feel compelled. They they want to follow you. They, I'm doing things not because I was told to do it. It's because I want to do it. And I don't want to let this girl or guy down as a leader. So, man, we, we I could go into an entire day talking about that stuff. And luckily, the, the, the book helped put all that stuff down on paper for me, at least. Yeah. Well, I just want to echo what you said about mentorship. Many people who follow me know my story. I, I was raised the only child of a hardworking single mom, and she had the wisdom to surround me with mentors at an early age. And uh, I've I've embraced that idea ever since. I've always, as I got older and got out, out on my own, I, I sought mentors. You know, I recruited them. Yeah. And uh, at every stage and every turn, if if there was an area I didn't know or didn't understand, I uh, I asked somebody that seemed obvious to ask. And if they didn't have an answer, I asked them who they knew that could have an answer. And, you know, it it has been an ongoing process for me. And I hands down, I attribute everything I've ever been able to accomplish to a huge network of mentors that have made, right. you know, great in, impacts in my life. So, um, well, Jim, I think we're about up on time here to tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in hiring you as a speaker or or just having a a continuing chat about this. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Yeah. All roads for me lead to my website, nightspeaker.com. My last name is K-N-I-G-H-T, nightspeaker.com. It's pretty easy to find. You'll see I have a training program on there called Certified Rockstar. We have uh, obviously all of my books. I have a podcast called Thoughts at Rock that I do with a a business partner. And you and I, Doug, have talked about our musical backgrounds as well and our love of rock and roll. Uh, My business partner is an actual rocker. He was on the road for about 25 years. So we tend to do a lot of stuff like that. But honestly, instead of giving them a ton of places, nightspeaker.com, you can pretty much find anything you want to. Super. Well, we'll, again, that too will be in the show notes. So one last time, Jim, thanks for sitting in and uh, having this talk with us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, my friend. Rock on. Yeah, you bet. And I do want to remind everybody, this is the place in the show, we remind you, we do have a video version of this episode over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership That Power Is. I want to get my name right. Leadership powered by common sense. And uh, you really want to check out uh, Jim's uh, spike hair. It's awesome, man. I'm, uh, I've never had the guts to go there. I've, I'm probably one of those in heart, but for whatever reason, it, it's probably the old banker and military guy in me that doesn't allow it. But we can make it uh, happen. I got product if you want to do uh, it. Yeah, show okay. on that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, folks, I want you to hop over there and subscribe to that channel, if you will. And But more importantly, 
anywhere you find me on social media, leave me a comment, leave me a note. If you've got a recommendation for a guest that, uh, or a topic you'd like to hear us explore, let me know that. We'd love to entertain that idea. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and wish you a great day. All right.